So uh, I want to I want to kind of follow up on this men's group. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we watched this video. Man, it's been an amazing video. But the one we watched last Tuesday, man, it was probably the best one we've seen yet. And it was really short. It was probably five, six, seven minutes. Really short. And man, it was so good that we're going to watch it again along with another one this, this week. So I really encourage you men, if you can be there, man, show up. I mean, it was awesome. That was probably one of the best sermons I ever heard. And then uh, there's also a men's fellowship once a month out at Steve McSpadden's. And it, it's usually averaging probably 75, 80 men, just all from the community and from surrounding communities. So it's just a great opportunity for the men, Christian men, to come together and just to grow. And then one more thing. I should have brought this up a month or so ago, but I forgot all about it. There is a chrysalis coming up the first week of June. And the chrysalis is basically the teenage version of the walk to Emmaus. It is an awesome ex experience for these kids that just really get on fire for God and really just to dig in, especially for you seniors that are about to go off into the world. It would be a great opportunity. So if you know, if you have kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, if you're a teacher, if you're an ag teacher, uh, 4-H, if you have any influence on kids, man, let's get, try to get them in there. Cause we could, each, huh? Age. Oh, yeah, age. Uh, it's pretty much 15 to 19-year-olds. It's outgoing freshmen of high school to outgoing freshmen of college. But if you got anybody you want to sign up, get with me, get with my wife. There's, an Emmaus, there's a cross-country Emmaus page, but I'm telling you, it's an awesome experience. They won't, they won't regret it, I promise you. So will you please stand? I'm already talking fast, so I'm going to try to slow down. We're going to read Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. It says, And then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first commandment, of all, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. <clears throat> so the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that no one dared questioning. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this freedom that we have just to come together and just to worship and to grow closer with you. Father, I pray that your message will just resonate into our hearts and our ears and just, uh, just let it speak to us, Father, and just let it change us. Father, I ask that you'll just remove me from this situation, Father, and let's let your words flow through me. Father, I love you and I praise you. Next thing is Jesus' name. Amen. So be seated. So, <clears throat> love. You know, the whole Bible is just summed up in those two short verses right there. And everything else in the Bible just falls into place if we just get those two right. And wouldn't this world just be a much better place if we could truly follow this? So let's dig into these verses a little and see what we can discover 
in order to have a better understanding of what it means to love God and to love our neighbors. So when we come to these verses, we need to look at the context surrounding them. You see, this wasn't a question in order just to get a correct answer. Instead, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were attempting to find fault in Jesus so that they could discredit his ministry. So think about it for a minute. The Son of God, the one who came to give life and to bring us into the right relationship with God, was standing right there with them. He was not only there to give them salvation, but also to show them God's perspective of what life was intended to be. Yet all around him there was opposition. There was opposition from the religious leaders, the ones who believed in God, the ones that could quote scripture from memory. You see, Satan was using them to turn man against the plan of God. And see, today we still face this opposition. All around us there are forces at work to distract us and to deter us from experiencing God's plans as individuals and as the body of Christ. Divorce rates have gone through the, through the roof, both inside and outside of the church. Abuse, abortions, drug use, suicide, disease, crimes, they're all on the rise because we've become a people that seek man-made solutions and have started to ignore the biblical mandates of Scripture. So as we dig into this, let's not forget that Jesus' conflict was with religious people who were experts in Old Testament Scriptures but had missed the central truth of the Word of God. So the question that was asked in verse 28 was, which is the first commandment of all? And this sounds like a real simple question, but we need to understand that this was a matter of constant debate among the Pharisees. They had broke the law into two different groups. There was 248 positive commandments and 365 prohibitions. So there was a constant debate over which one of these 613 laws was the most important. So as a result, the Pharisees were always describing the law in terms of light and heavy, small or great, and they believed that if your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds, that God would accept you. But if not, there was no way of getting rid of them. So they taught that people should keep the heavier or greater commandments in order to score more points with God. And to be honest, we still have that mentality today. We compare ourselves to others and claim that we're not as bad as old what's-his-name. Look at all the things he does. I just do these little things, so I must be good. But in reality, we need to be comparing ourselves to Jesus. He's the standard, not what's-his-name. We should, strive, we, should, we should not strive to be better than people. We should desire to be like Christ. And Jesus gives us his answers beginning in verse 29. And I want to add in that there's estimated 300 questions asked to Jesus in the gospel. And only eight of them did he answer directly. Most of them he answered with a parable or with asking a question of his own. So when he answers one directly, we need to pay a lot of attention to it. And he said, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. See, in verses 29 and 30, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Those two verses are what's called the Shema. And the Shema was a portion of the scripture 
that was quoted twice a day by the devout Jewish people. Here, H-E-A-R, is the Hebrew word for Shema, which means to hear and obey. So this tells us that we personally need to hear and respond to his word. You see, the Pharisees honored these verses with their lips, but they ignored the truth with their hearts. You see, we can go to church, we can memorize and we can quote scripture, we can study the Bible, we can know a lot of theology, and we can even be involved in ministry and still hold our hearts far away from any real relationship or commitment to God. But when we do this, we're deceiving ourselves and others around us. You see, the command to love shows that there should be an appropriate response. If you look at it from a personal standpoint, it says you shall love the Lord with your God. That tells us the necessity of a personal relationship. And it's only through the personal faith in Jesus that we come to know God. And through our daily walk with Christ, he becomes our Lord in which we can have a personal, intimate fellowship with him. And I want you to notice that it says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, it wasn't condensed to simply say, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's an equal emphasis on each part that we are to use in loving God. We are to love God with our entire beings. There's no holding back. There's no incompleteness in our devotion and commitment to God. There can be no riding the fence. There can be no lukewarm attitudes. We can't divide our love between God and anything else. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot love God and mammon. So anything less than loving God with all of our being in, an area, any, in every area of our life falls short of God's will, and it hinders us from being all that we are designed to be. You see, we're designed to glorify God and to spend eternity with Him. But we have become a culture that wants to satisfy ourselves. We seek happiness in vacations, in guilty pleasures, in accomplishments, in sports, and many other things. But yet we still feel empty and longing for more. See, we are created by God and for God, and our hearts will remain restless until we can fully submit to his love and to his will and love him the way that we're intended to. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy stuff. God's given us a lot of things to be able to enjoy. But as long as we keep God first and keep our priorities straight. See, 1 Corinthians six twelve says, Everything is permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So we need to remember that verse when we make decisions in our lives. Yes, I can do this if I want to, but is it beneficial to my relationship with God, or is it going to hinder my relationship with God? Yes, I can do this if I want to, but is it going to take time and attention away from God? And then Jesus said the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the question was asked, which is the greatest commandment? But Jesus answered by adding the second, because he knows they go hand in hand. Our vertical relationship with God affects our horizontal relationship with others. And our horizontal relationship with others exposes our vertical relationship with God. In other words, if you truly love God, 
you'll also love people. See, God is love, and out of God flows love. God loves each and every one of us. Every person that was ever born or ever will be born, God loves them. And if we love God, we will love every one of them just the same. See, loving our neighbor is a fruit, is the, is the fruit of loving God. So there's four things here I want to look at. Number one is the subject, the one responsible. Again, Jesus says, you and yours. This personalizes the command. This means me and you. I like, when I'm reading the Bible, I like to put my name in there. Not because I think I'm special, but because it makes it more intimate. You know, it's easy for us to have the mentality of, oh, well, he was talking to somebody else. But when we add our names, then we know that he's talking to us. So I like to read it as, Cody, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that makes it more personal, and it makes it really hit the heart where, man, i got to do something. And the second is the subject. This is the one that you must love. That's your neighbor. You see, your neighbor is not the one that lives next door to you. Your neighbor is whoever you're around. God puts you in places to minister to others. Everybody that we run into during the day is our neighbor. So getting to know God should be our first priority. And as we grow in knowing God and loving God, we should be able to see the needs of others around us. Matthew 9.37 says, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If we truly love God, then we will truly love people, and that will lead us to wanting to show them the truth of the gospel. Third is the manner in which we are to love. It says, As yourself points to the manner in which we are to love our neighbors. But in today's culture, this statement is often viewed as self-love. People believe that Jesus is saying that before you can love others, you must love yourself. You must have a good self-image, and you must feel good about yourself. And yes, we do need to know who we are in Christ. We need to understand that we are sinners, that we are saved by grace, and that we are adopted into his sonship to become heirs of the one true king. But Jesus doesn't say love your neighbors after you love yourself. He says as yourself. See, if you're hungry, what do you do? You get yourself something to eat. If you're cold, what do you do? You get yourself a blanket. Or you tell your husband to turn the air conditioner off. And that's the essence of what Jesus is saying. Take care of the needs of others just like you would for yourself. And the fourth is the action or the responsibility. It says you shall love. This is agape love. An unconditional, all-forgiving love. 1 Corinthians 13 Verses 4 through 6 and verse 13 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. And verse 13 says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, this is how God loves us. There's nothing you can do that's going to push God away. Even if you tried, you can't get him to stop loving you. He's always going to be there with open arms waiting to receive you back home. So how do we show our love to God? 
2 John verse 6 says, This is love, that we walk in according to his commandments. You see, walk is an action word. We can't just say it, we have to show it. 1 John 3.8 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. True love for the Father and for our neighbors manifests itself into actions that meet the needs of others. So what does it mean to love God and to love your neighbors as yourself? You have to give God all of you. You have to live your life in a way that glorifies God in everything that you do. Study, your, study His Word and allow Him to teach you. Look out for the needs of the people in our community. Love them enough to share the truth of the gospel. I tell my kids all the time that I would much rather them hate me because I told them the truth than love me because I told them a lie that's going to lead them to hell. See, true love for someone should lead them to God. And if you're not addressing the sin of others out of love, do you really love that person? If you know someone is living in sin and you aren't doing everything you can to show them the truth, are you really showing love to that person? See, God loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And we should love our neighbors in the same way. And then Jesus finished his answer by saying, there are no other commandments greater than these two. So if we get these two right, everything else falls into place. When we truly love God, we'll no longer want to sin. And when we're loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, we'll take care of their needs. We won't have people in our community struggling. We won't have the poverty that we have. You know, as, as we grow in, in, in Christ, we learn to put others ahead of ourselves. We learn to make sacrifices that uh, normally we wouldn't do. You know, there's a lot of times that, that, that you see homeless people on the streets, you know, and they'll, they'll have a sign that says anything will help. And I'm just as guilty as anyone, you know, sitting there and, and being judgmental and saying, man, I'm not giving them my money. They're just going to go buy alcohol with it. You know, but I don't know their story. I don't know what they've been through in their life. You know, I, I read a story about a guy that he loved his wife. He loved her with everything he had. And uh, she got cancer. And she was at the hospital. And he wasn't going to work because he spent every, every day at the hospital with his wife. Well, soon he lost his job because he wasn't coming to work. And when he lost his job, he lost his insurance. So he sold everything he had so he could pay for treatment for his wife. You know, she ended up dying, and he had nowhere to go. He had already sold his home. He had sold his vehicle, everything he had. And he ended up on the streets with a sign that said anything will help. So see, we don't know what other people have been through, but we should love them as God loves them. It's not our place to judge what they're going to do with, their, with the money that we give them. Because God's given, that, given us that money. It wasn't ours to belong with or to begin with. So we should give it to others. That's how we love God. And that's how we love our neighbors as ourselves. When we learn to put others ahead of ourselves, that's the fruit of loving God. Will you please stand? So we're going to open up the altar. For anybody that wants prayer, 
I want to encourage everybody to really be in prayer for Gerald and for LaDonna this week and for the whole family. I mean, we talked to Gerald the other day, and he said the worst part of it was just laying in that bed, and that was, what, a week and a half ago? And he's still just laying in that bed. You know, he's struggling. He wants to get up and do something. He's ready to be home where he can go out, even if he's got to have somebody drive him around. So just really be in prayer for their family. But we're going to open up the altar for anybody that wants to receive prayer, anybody that wants to receive Jesus for the first time, or if you want to become a member of the church, the altar will be open. So will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. Father, we just ask that you'll just show us how to truly love you and show us how to truly love your neighbor. Father, we just ask that you'll show us the needs of our community and just give us opportunities just to share your love, Father. Father, as we go out into this world, I just pray that we're the lot and that the world can see you through us, Father. Father, we just love you, we praise you, and we give you the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.